It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. When you see a gentleman be around a lady be buzzing, just count to ten, but then count again. They're sure to be an even dozen. A multiplication. That's the name of the game. In each generation, they play the same. Now there was two butterflies casting their eyes, both in the same direction. The great Bobby Darren, real name Walden Robert Casado. Uh, Multiplication, a fine song. Hey, uh, Michael's story is quite a storyteller, and uh, he's an interesting guy. He is described as a GJP super forecaster and the director at the Swift Center. He's also uh, developed a Substack following, which is quite substantial, and uh, writes about a whole bunch of interesting subjects on there. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Michael, uh, let me, because you are calling from uh, across the pond, let me get you to weigh in on the subject that we just dealt with. The I think the United States should consider converting to the metric system. As somebody that has spent a fair amount of time on both continents, what would be your opinion of something like that? Oh, I don't know. That's very tricky. Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I, I think, like most people, right, the old metric system is sort of more practical, but there's a romance to the uh, to the imperial system, right? It's It's sort of traditional, and it makes you feel more nostalgic. So when I go to the US, I um I really enjoy that things are sort of still in feet and inches and so on. It's it's a very nice feeling. So well, I, I don't know. I think that the cost of switching would be would be high. Yeah, no, that's what it's something that a lot of listeners uh, raise. I, I don't see, um, well, well, whatever. We'll say we'll say that. I mean, if there, if if romance and nostalgia is the reason to keep it, I uh, I think we'd still be uh, reading from telegrams instead of emails and faxes instead of text messages. But that's not a ni- neither here nor there. Hey, I introduced you as what uh, your Twitter biography describes you as as a GJP super f- forecaster. What is GJP? Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, yeah. Pull up that thread. Um, so, um, so uh, well. So a few years ago, uh, in the U.S., uh, the uh, there's an institution, a U.S. government institution called IARPA, which is the intelligence equivalent of ARPA and DARPA. Um, and um, IARPA does intelligence advanced research project activity. That's what it stands for. And they set up a contest to make predictions about the future. Uh, which is kind of how a lot of defense procurement stuff works, right? They uh, they run a big contest, and then you know teams can enter, and you, you can like win prizes. And I joined a team uh, which entered this competition to try and make accurate predictions about the future. And the team that I was part of won. And uh, the uh, and so <laughs> I was kind of long story short, uh, they won uh, by we won by um, by kind of building teams of people that were consistently more accurate at predicting the future. And those people were known as super forecasters, and so that's oh. my uh, my history there. And that's actually why I ended up uh, needing to uh, get a bit more comfortable with with aeroplanes because I was living in London at the time, and the project was based at uh, at UPenn uh, at uh, at Wharton. And um, and of course, you know, it's <laughs> to kind of go and visit people that I was uh, uh, involved in this project with. 
required me to cross the Atlantic. Sure. And uh, it became impractical to do that through any other means than airplanes. Yeah. Can you give us uh, maybe just one example of uh, a trend or something that we can look forward to in in the future that you foresee? Oh, I don't know. That's tricky. <laughs> oh, you really put me on the spot. I, I know. know. We, we asked the tough question. That's tricky. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, we won't, <laughs> we'll have you back on that subject. All right. How long um, – you, you had this great uh, column on Substack, and uh, I'm going to share it on my Facebook page if people haven't seen it at uh, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan about overcoming your your fear of f- flying. How long had you had a fear of flying uh, long distances? Oh, man, probably about 10 years. So when I was a kid, I flew and it was totally fine. And then I think when I was in my late teens, I suddenly started to find it very unsettling. And um, there wasn't really an incident that sort of brought it about. But I just I just started to think about it and think, oh, no, no this isn't natural. This isn't right. You know, where, we're, you know, people shouldn't be up in the sky. This doesn't feel kind of correct in some way. And I just started to get very, very, very uncomfortable with it to the point that I just felt if I have a take a job somewhere or I, uh, you know, want to need to visit somewhere, I'm just going to drive. I'll take a boat. I'll take a train. I'll go anywhere, but I'm, I just won't go in a plane to do it. So for about 10 years, I traveled. Yeah, I still traveled a lot and I went all over the place, but I just would do anything to avoid going in a plane. I would, I would drive, you know, 2000 miles <laughs> rather than fly in a plane, which takes, you know, a long time <laughs> staying in motels. And, stuff. Uh, and I would just do anything to avoid uh, going in a plane, and I and I um I remember taking like a a trip with my family, and um you know a drive, and I was like, okay, I'll meet you there. We're going to go on vacation, so I'll meet you there. I'm going to drive, and I was driving, you know, for four or five days, and then my you know parents would text me the morning of of the day I was going to arrive, saying, hey, we're just setting off at the airport. We'll see you this afternoon, you know. And I think, and I just remember thinking, this is this is crazy. You know, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're, you're spending this enormous amount of effort to avoid getting in a plane. Uh, but when you really are uncomfortable with something, that just feels like a very natural thing to do. It just seems like such a big deal, and then it's very hard to confront. You know, uh, that's so interesting. And in reading your piece, that's what I wondered. I wondered if there was some incident with whether it was the terrorist attacks on September 11th or seeing the movie Die Hard 2 which led you to develop this sudden fear of flying long distances but it doesn't sound like there was any sort of impetus for it it sounds like this is something that sort of just developed uh, in your own brain without necessarily a, an immediate clear cause well it crept up on me but i will say so I, so my friend, so so my experience of this was, yeah, it just crept up on me. My my friends tell me, uh, so my father was was in a, a plane which uh, which sort of crashed. I don't know whether you could fully call it crash. He survived. Uh, pretty much everybody was was fine, uh, but he was in a plane that kind of went off the end of a runway and went into a field uh, in Ethiopia. And my uh, my friends say, you know, well, maybe this had something to do with it. I but see. that was when I was much younger. You know, I was about five when that happened. Um, and so I, you know, I'm not sure that that ever, you know, I don't know. I, people would say, well, you know, if you've had a close family member, you've had a bit of a close shade, you know, maybe that sort of drives you in some way to develop this type of attitude. But, you know, I, from five onwards, I just thought, oh, this is fine. I get on the plane and just think, oh, great. Now I'm going somewhere nice. Let's enjoy that. And then just suddenly it started to go. Um, and and I don't know. So it's possible that it that it develops as a result of that exposure. And yeah, I mean, 
it's it's silly to say it, but I mean, I um uh in the in the 90s, I I lived in in New York, uh, where you are now, see, and um uh, with my family, and uh, you know, and I it sounds silly to say okay. 9-11 doesn't help, but it definitely doesn't help, right? Sure. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I believe me. I, I get that. And, yeah, you know, you, you see it every day. And um, it took because I didn't fly for a long time, it was a long time before I visited New York again. And I remember, you know, the first time being there, uh, you know, probably a decade later and and thinking, you know, the skyline just doesn't look right. And it was just a very unsettling feeling. So I think those things can impact you as well, even though it's a kind of one-off, like, freak, terrible thing that happens. And you know, it doesn't happen very often, but it can definitely stick in your mind and really make you worry about things. Sure. Uh, talking with Michael Story. So when you you decided that this was a fear that you needed to overcome when you were constantly dealing with the inconvenience of driving when you needed to be flying and the practicality of needing to be at uh, events in the United States when you were living in the U.K., is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, so I, the, the, the time when I really realized I'm going to have to do something about this is I needed to attend a conference in California. So I was in London. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to get to California? I mean, I had to go. It was, you know, completely important that I had to go for my job. You know? So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So, so I found a boat uh, that would take me from Southampton to, to New York, the, the Queen Mary 2, which I'm sure you see sometimes. Sure. It's, uh, docks at Brooklyn Seaport. So I was like, okay, I can get the boat uh, to Brooklyn. And then I'm going to get the Amtrak and I'll get the Amtrak to Chicago. And then the Amtrak goes from Chicago all the way uh, down uh, to, to San Francisco, almost, uh, uh, nearly all the way there. So I did that. So there was seven days on the boat, uh, then another, you know, a, a, another day to Chicago and then another two days uh, all the way down uh, uh, to San Francisco. And I realized this is crazy. <laughs> this is this is eleven days uh, of travel time to get there, and there's going to be eleven days to go home. And you, you, this is not sustainable. So that was what really triggered me to realize, like, okay, you know, I'm I'm kind of working on things that involve being in, in the U.S. again, and uh, it, you are not gonna you are not gonna be able to sustain uh, spending weeks of your life at sea. Uh, on the Queen Mary in order just to attend conferences. So that's when I realized, like, oh, you've really got to really crap on with this, Michael. <laughs> All right. The million-dollar question uh, or the 1.3 million euro question, depending on what system uh, we're in, how did you do it? How were you able to overcome your fear of flying, which was so, I'll call it paralyzing, that it led you to spend hours more traveling than necessary? So I, it really it was brute force. So what I did is I just decided you, you've just got to do this until you get comfortable with it. You know, you've got to um, you've just got to make yourself do it. And I could, couldn't find any other way around it. I went on courses like I don't know if you have you've experienced this, but uh, a lot of airlines will have like a class that you can go to for a weekend. And it's run by the airline. And um, and you can kind of go and stay in a hotel at the airport for the weekend. And uh, they, they take on a tour of the plane and you can sort of you know, look at the plane when it's on the ground and kind of see it all and look at it from underneath and kind of they show you, you know, how safe it is and all the safety systems and stuff. And it's supposed to be reassuring. And uh, and I did that and I did those courses, <laughs> the weekend classes and stuff. And I was still felt the same afterwards. In fact, I went to one of those classes for a weekend and then they had another, I didn't work and I thought, oh, maybe I just didn't pay enough attention. So a few months later, they ran another class and I went back 
And I recognized a few other guys from the first time. I said, oh, I didn't work on you either. You know, we were all back. Like, you know, we all had to be held back a grade, I think, because so, we were still terrified. So um, eventually, I was like, oh, I've just got to do this. So um, I decided, I just, okay, I'm just going to start doing this. I'm going to make a rule. You have to fly every 10 days. That's a reasonable amount of time. So, You've got to fly every 10 days. Just to reiterate, Michael, so you went through two classes to overcome your fear of flying. Those didn't work. So you said, okay, I'm still afraid of flying. I'm now going to start flying once every 10 days. Yeah, I just said, I'll just go somewhere. doesn't matter where it is. Uh, luckily, at the time, I was living in London, so pretty near Heathrow Airport, nice, busy airport, lots of flights. And I would just go on these uh, these apps, you know, Skyscanner or whatever, um, similar to that, the Google flights are pretty good now. And you would just go on these apps, and I would just search for what's the cheapest destination I can fly to and from you know, in a day, I can fly in the morning and fly back in the evening. And I'll just do something nice when I'm there to kind of deal with it, you know, go to lunch somewhere, go to an art gallery, go and see something. And I just thought, I'll just do it. I'll just take the cheapest flight I can find. Doesn't matter where it goes. I'm just going to go there and tolerate it. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I'll go. And so I set myself this target of like, once every 10 days, you have to go on a plane to go somewhere. And, um, and I did, and I did that for two years. It basically it took two years before I felt like, okay, you finally feel <laughs> like this is comfortable. But it was a pretty, it was actually, it, it turned out very cool, which is, which is what I read in the article, but it was, um, it turned out to be actually, uh, you know, initially it was pretty stressful. It's not very nice to do something that you have a kind of a genuine phobia of that you find very, very difficult. Um, but once I started to get into the rhythm of it, you know, it actually became really fun. And, and you know, people would uh, uh, start suggesting places to me, or if they found some super cheap deal, they would send it my way. They'd say, hey, look, you know, you can fly this, this plane here, let's go here. And it started to uh, just open up so many, um, yeah, just open up a lot of opportunities that I wasn't expecting. It Give folks an idea of understanding that you were seeking the least expensive flight to continue to engage in this experiment on. Give folks an idea over two years of your flight fear training, how much you spent in airline tickets. Oh, goodness. I've never added up, and I'm not sure I, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> I think that, I, I don't know. Uh, I would say it's, Sometimes it was, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was probably quite a lot, to be fair. I, I think, I mean, it's, sometimes it's pretty good, right? If you just went on a, uh, you know, a little trip from London to Copenhagen or something, you could do that for a day, and that might set you back maybe seventy pounds or a hundred dollars or something like that. Return some of those are pretty cheap, um, but sometimes it was further, and sometimes if it was a, uh, you know, a holidays or whatever, then it would be, of course, the flight prices go up at those times. Um, sometimes somebody else would pay for it. Like I would, you know, if someone invited me to speak in a conference, they'd pay my, my airfare. So they would cover the cost if I was going to go and do something like that. So I, I don't know. I never added it up, but it's, yeah, it's got to be in the thousands, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would think so. And, um, so is this strategy of taking whatever you're afraid of and forcing yourself to do it every 10 days is this uh, is this something that is this a playbook that can be used for people conquering other fears that they may have, whether it's a fear of heights, a fear of roller coasters, a fear of spiders, a fear of whatever? Do you think that this is something that uh, would work for other people conquering whatever fear they have? I, th- I think so. I mean, I, I, I've talked to people, um, you know, I, I mean, as I mentioned, I went to these two 
weekend classes for uh, trying to cure fear of flying. But I also went to like a general uh, like weekend seminar thing that was about like curing phobias of all kinds. And so I met people with phobias of all those things you talk about, you know, spiders and, uh, you know, people with a fear of, uh, uh, you know, sometimes very unusual. You know, people had fear you know, phobias of things that you wouldn't even consider scary at all, you know. I mean, a spider, you can kind of understand because a spider could bite you, you know, but that people would have a phobia of like something very innocuous, a, you know, door handle. You know, they say, oh, I can't touch a door handle. I'm scared of it. You think, what? But I think what can be helpful is like, you know, it's, it's helpful just to kind of, if you were, I think sometimes if you have a kind of reaction to something like, oh, this is a scary thing, this is dangerous, I don't feel comfortable doing it. But then if you, if you do it every so often, and each time you do it, it's kind of okay, and you have a you have a try and have a good experience. You try and build in something fun, you know. So you go, okay, I'm going to fly, but when I get there, I'm going to make sure I go to a nice, uh, you know, restaurant and eat something good, or I'm going to visit a friend, or I'm going to take a friend with me. I'm going to invite my buddies. I mean, that was a cool thing. Sometimes my friends would come with me. I'm saying, hey, I'm going here for the day. You go, you know, guys want to come, and quite often they would, and so we'd have a little, uh, you know, fun day out somewhere. And I, over time, right, you replace this like this fear reaction with like these happy memories and like good times that you've experienced from, from something. And I think over time it can help. So like, yeah, maybe if you fear of spiders or something, but if you, you know, went to the zoo <laughs> every couple of weeks and just were around the spiders and okay, gradually you had a good time and you brought your friends with you and maybe you went on a date to the zoo, that kind of thing, then uh, maybe you, you'd start to develop some happy association with it. And the, the kind of fear response will gradually fade away. So it, it can work, but it just takes a lot of time. Like it's not sure. a pleasant thing. And I think, uh, um, you know, I, I did it out of really, it was just necessity because I, I, I you know, once it's taking you 10 days to, uh, to take a trip to, to go to a conference. I mean, that's not sustainable. <laughs> right. No, no doubt about it. Uh, talking with Michael story of, uh, of linked to his Substack piece on, uh, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan. You could read it. But Michael, uh, since you've been able to conquer this, what have you been able to do? Obviously you alluded to that super forecaster conference. What else that you would have been very limited in doing had you not been able to conquer your fear of flying? I, well, so many things. I mean, I think with a lot of jobs now, if you can't fly very much, you know, it's hard to get a job. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of jobs want you to travel around and do things. Um, and, uh, I think that's, that's obviously part of the story, but socially, I think it's been very valuable. I mean, the thing that surprised me when I went into this, I was like, okay, I've got a job where it's going to be hard for me. If I can't attend a conference because I can't fly, that's going to be hard for me to do it. You know, I'm, I'm going to struggle. But what I realized is actually there's all these other benefits. I mean, if you fly around a lot, you get to meet a lot of people. People think it's kind of interesting what you're doing. And so they're more likely to meet you. You know, if you, if you just call somebody and say, Hey, look, I'm doing this experiment where I'm going to fly somewhere every 10 days. I haven't got anywhere to go this week. I'm going to come see you if you want to meet up. You know, a lot of people will say yes to that. And so you end up like meeting more people and having a kind of, you know, getting a little insight into different things that people are doing. Um, and it's been pretty, uh, yeah, it's been pretty big. And in the end, I um, uh, ended up uh, uh, meeting uh, uh, somebody who became my girlfriend. And then we ended up getting married and we were working in different parts of the world. And wow. I realized now looking back, like, we wouldn't have been able to really sustain that relationship if we hadn't been able to fly, you know? So, so it's pretty, um, uh, you know, it's it, something like that. You realize oh, that totally changes your life. Like if we'd have met five years previously when I was kind of grounded, what would we have done? Right. I don't know. Maybe we would have just had a couple of dates and said, okay, this isn't really going to be practical. So yeah, uh, no, that's uh, a, that's a great yeah. example. What's been the uh, feedback to your Substack piece in which you chronicle 
your efforts to overcome your fear of flying? Oh, I had some lovely, uh, lovely responses from people. I, I, it's it's such it's so nice. Like I heard from a lot of people who kind of had other things that they found really hard that they had to kind of really work on about themselves and wanted to overcome. So yeah, people with other phobias or people that were like very uncomfortable with with something, and they just said, yeah, you know, that, that experience that they found of like I'm just going to commit to doing this. It doesn't matter if I do it well. It doesn't matter if I see results straight away. You know, I'm just going to commit to this for the long term and like hope, you know, and trust that if I stick to this for long enough, it's going to pay off. And I think a lot of things in life are like that, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, eating healthy or going to the gym or anything like that, it kind of works like that. So I think that, yeah, I, I had a lot of very nice, uh, nice response from people. And also a lot of people saying, hey, if you, you know, if you want to come say hi in my city, then come say hi. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> but you're not still doing this uh, repeated flying situation now. No, no. Well, I still fly now. As, right, you but know, you but fly like as needed, yeah. right? You yeah, don't go as a chore yeah, every ten day. Um, well, this is this is terrific. I've really enjoyed some of the other articles that you've written on a variety of subjects. Uh, tell folks um, where they can find your your Substack, Michael. Oh yeah, it's just uh, MW Story, Michael Williams Story uh, dot dot com. If you want to come uh, come check it out there, then that that'd be great. Love to have more people reading. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. I hope we could talk again. I love your piece, and I hope a lot of people will learn lessons in terms of conquering their own fears from reading it. Oh, thank you, Frank. It's been terrific to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael W. Story. If you want to comment on uh, any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.